And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Welcome to the Athletic Fantasy Baseball Show presented by Tops. Check out Tops Project 70, celebrating 70 years of Tops baseball cards. Derek Van Riper here with Michael Beller. It is Sunday, July 11th. That is the Sunday leading into the All-Star break. It is a strange week for waivers each and every year because we come back with a partial week to begin the, air quotes, second half of the season. Uh, thanks to those of you joining us on YouTube this morning. Hit the like button. Subscribe to this channel if you'd like to get notified when we go live in the future. Beller, what's the what's your favorite part of All-Star Weekend? I'm going with the uh, home run derby now. It used to be the game because of the mishmash of jerseys. I mean, I just always loved seeing that. I loved seeing a Cubs jersey next to a Brewers jersey next to a Dodgers jersey right next to a Rockies jersey and whatever. And now we lost that this season. MLB took that away from us. So uh, I'm looking forward to the home run derby this year. I think it's a fun field, a fun group of guys. Got my prediction of Matt Olson in the book. So give me um, give me the sl- a slugger to take things down. But it's still exciting. Still a fun time. It's a fun, uh, it's a fun weekend. It's a good uh, time to take a break, take a breather, watch a little bit of baseball, and then get ready for the second half. Yeah, I'm with you. I think the move would have been to just introduce some new alternate uniforms if you were going to mess with the all-star uniforms yeah. at all. You don't have to go with the traditional home and road for the team you're representing necessarily. I think that's a nice tradition to uphold. But if you're going to change it up, don't make the soccer-ish. I have nothing against soccer at all. I love soccer. Don't make like a bad-looking soccer-baseball hybrid the way they did and push that out there. It was such great personality for Major League Baseball and something that's gone on since the All-Star game has been a thing. And every other sport has their homogenized jerseys for their All-Star game, right? No NBA jerseys mishmashing, no NFL jerseys in the Pro Bowl. And here we, the MLB, always had this, and now that's gone too. So uh, I'm very disappointed that we're not going to get to see that on Tuesday, but still should be a fun week leading into the second half of the season. I'm with you. And the, the Derby is so much more watchable in the head-to-head format. Yes, I do like Olsen as a, a longer, odd sort of pick in this event. I mean, a left-handed guy that barrels up a ton of balls. Obviously, mm-hmm. raw power, not a question at all. We're going to see some absolute moonshots, too, <laughs> in the Derby because they are not using the humidor for those baseballs. So, yeah, the maximum home run length, I think, was an over-under at one point of 503 and a half feet. Yep. Someone's <laughs> going to do it. Someone's, get, someone's going over that for sure. Looking forward to that. Uh, but let's start with the hitters this week. We got some bad injury news on Saturday. Ronald Acuna is going to have surgery to repair a torn ACL. He suffered that while uh, trying to track down a fly ball in a game in Miami. Uh, in terms of the internal replacements for him, it is not looking great in part because Christian Pache has had a rough year at AAA. Drew Waters actually makes more sense if they're going the prospect route. And he has not dominated at AAA. Finished 2019 there. Obviously has spent all of 2021 there. But he does bring a power-speed combo. A lot of questions about the hit tool and pitch recognition and just his ability to make adjustments, I think, are, are going to be a part of the narrative if he does, in fact, get the call. But I think at this point, he's more of a speculative sort of ad, a guy that you wouldn't necessarily have to go all in for unless we get some sort of news out of Atlanta that they are, in fact, going to make Waters a part of their plan to try and fill that void left by the Acuna injury. Yeah, I think that's true. And so I would say that if you to make that speculative ad as an Acuna manager, you need to be making a move for another outfielder as well. You can't assume that come... Friday when the Braves take the field again uh, after the all-star break that he's going to that waters is going to be out there so if you have to get the waiver claims in today and you're looking ahead to that weekend series for Atlanta sure go after waters there's a lot of ceiling here as you said the power speed combo could really play well but 
if you do need someone to play for sure on Friday, you got to have a backstop there because we can't assume that it's going to be Waters for the Braves. Yeah, I think the the reason Waters is appealing to me is that he should steal bases if he gets mm-hmm. that opportunity. We know steals are relatively difficult to find, especially if you're trying to replace someone like Acuna who does yeah. everything. I think you could get... <laughs> Three or four category production from a guy like Waters if everything goes well, but more of a wait and see. Put him on the watch list just because his chances of debuting are up with the unfortunate news that we got about Acuna. Uh, let's get to Eloy Jimenez because I noticed this morning he is only rostered in 82% of CBS leagues. Everything seems to be going really well with his recovery from that pec injury. I believe earlier this week he said he feels like he is 200%, which I've never felt <laughs> that mean, good that looked, in my yeah, entire right? life. <laughs> yeah, so. Man. Let's get science out to study this guy. This is crazy. Two hundred. There's two of them. Suddenly, the White Sox could use two Eloy Jimenez's. Yeah, it's amazing <laughs> what they've been able to accomplish without him, without Robert, with Grandal recently getting hurt. Yeah. All the injuries they've had to it's deal magical. with so far this season. Yeah, magical being down. But it's probably time to go ahead and make the move in those leagues where Jimenez has not been held or picked up already. Because even if he's still three weeks away, he's on that short list of really good impact bats that's actually out there in a small sliver of leagues. Do you have any concerns given the nature of the injury that he's not going to come back and and be the player that we had projected him to be prior to the injury this spring? Yeah, obviously it wouldn't be a huge shock to see him be a little bit rusty because of that injury. And obviously, you know, when you're a hitter, your power comes from your trunk and right across here. And so that's something that we have to be a little bit concerned about with Jimenez as he gets back in the field. But this is still definitely a claim you make now, even knowing he's a few weeks away. The one thing I would actually be a little bit concerned about DVR is the White Sox lead in the AL Central. I mean, they're running away with this thing, and it's hard to see Cleveland really pushing them over the second half of the season. And if you're the White Sox, you came into the season with legitimate World Series aspirations. You have endured all these injuries, and you are still sitting as the comfortable leader in the AL Central. You need a little Jimenez healthy in October, not necessarily August. So I wouldn't be surprised if even when he is back, if he's not a pure every single day player, if they get him a few days off per week, especially early on. So I would have that in the back of my mind, but even that is not going to prevent me from wanting to go get Aloy Jimenez on my team. Just something to think about, but definitely someone to be very excited about on waivers this weekend. Right. Even if they gave him the equivalent of what you'd say typically goes to a big side platoon player, that's obviously in a playing time for a guy (laughs) like that to do Uh damage and be viable in pretty much all mixed leagues. So There are some leagues where he's out there. He hasn't accrued any stats this season. He could be very well buried on your free agent list. Mm -hmm. It's worth checking now, and if you can find a way to get him on your roster a few weeks before his return, it's kind of now or never time with Eloy. Uh, Let's talk about Vidal Brujan, whose situation is a little bit more complicated than we might have thought when he was first promoted earlier in the week because he was actually brought up as the extra man for a doubleheader, sent down after that doubleheader, recalled again on Friday, with Mike Brasso going on the injured list. So is Bruhan really more of an up-and-down guy for the Rays, at least until we get to the deadline and they have an opportunity to possibly make an adjustment or two to the roster to give him a spot to call his own? I mean, this is a team that theoretically could push things around in the outfield, play Kevin Kiermaier less. We talked about this with Wander a few weeks ago. Where are you at projection-wise for playing time with Bruhan in the short term? I just think that you have a guy this talented who has shown himself to be pretty ready to play Major League Baseball. You are where the Rays are in the standings, uh, looking like a team that should be a playoff team, whether they do it by winning the AL East or by getting into the wild card. Like You let this guy play. And obviously, we have, we're going to have to be a little bit speculative on this because of the fact that we just don't know if that's going to be the case. And this is a team that has taken it slow with some of their big prospects before. This is a team that does have enough flexibility where they don't need to push Bruhan into the lineup uh, every single day or necessarily push them onto the major league roster. Uh, so that's something that we do have to be concerned about. But when you're a good team and you're ready to win now, like this Tampa team is, I just think that talent ultimately is going to be the overriding factor. And so I'm buying Bruhan. I like the idea that maybe we can get him at a little bit of a discount from where he was a week ago if he got dropped or if he didn't get picked up, whatever the case may be. Um, I just think that, I mean, how do you look at this guy and not play him, DVR? That's where I, that's ultimately what I come down to. How do you have this guy on your team as a playoff caliber team 
and not play him and save him for 2022 or call him up and, you know, not let him play every day. And so you're sort of stunting his growth or risking the fact that you could stunt his growth. Like none of that adds up for me. So I want to take the shot on him knowing that there is legitimate risk that he either stays in the minors or goes back to the minors, excuse me, or is not anything close to an everyday player if he is up with the race. I think the tough thing for Bruhan right now is that Taylor Walls is an excellent defensive shortstop. So playing him is a priority. And Kevin Kiermeyer has actually started to hit a little bit more kind of going back to June. His first two months were abysmal. He's at least tracking back toward being a slightly below average hitter, which is acceptable if he plays good mm-hmm. defense in center field. I think that might just put him in this really tough spot in the short term. I love the skills, but uh, I'm interested if I have a flexible bench, if I have a spot where I can afford to have a guy that kind of drops out of the, the yeah. playing time picture midweek. I'm okay going after him there. I do think we can lower our bid expectations, whereas like in the middle of the week, if we thought he was up for good, he might have gone for 12 or 15% of a full fab budget because of the five-category potential. Mm-hmm. Now I think you're probably looking at like 3 to 5% in a lot of leagues because there's quite a bit of uncertainty here. Uh, but I think you do have to look at the Rays as one of those teams that they are going to try and get their absolute best combination out there. Part of that is mixing and matching. That's been a part of their success for a decade. Yeah. So I do think we're going to see Bruhan as more of a large side platoon sort of player once he's up or once they once they figure out where they want to play him, I should say. That, that, that's the issue that I have is that we're not talking about a 100% playing timeshare for Bruhan. There's a handful of guys in Tampa Bay who get that. And he might get that someday, but he's probably not getting that in the second yeah. half of 2021 without an injury or two to some of the guys in front of him. Yeah, I think that's absolutely a fair way to look at it. And, you know, it's an embarrassment of riches. It's something that we always have talked about with this race team. And you say there are a few guys who have a 100% playing time share. It's, you know, right? It's Austin Meadows. It's Randy Arozarena. Uh, and then you start looking around and you see guys who who aren't going to be in the lineup every day, no matter how talented they are. And it's a formula that works for the race, too. So why would they change it? I still think that the talent here with Bruhan. The opportunity that's here for Tampa, even with the Tyler Glasnow injury dragging down their, you know, maybe postseason expectations a little bit, has to be answered by playing Bruhan uh, enough that he matters in fantasy leagues. Yeah, I'm hoping that's the case, but uh, cautiously optimistic would probably be the way I would describe how I feel about Bruhan right now. The bottom could fall out playing time-wise at any time. Let's get to Jaron Duran because we keep waiting and waiting and waiting for the call up. He had a minor back injury that knocked him out for a couple games this week, but he was back in the lineup on Saturday. What's the deal here? What are they waiting for? What else do they need to see? Because it really looks to me like he's answered every possible question they could have about him at AAA. He's now sitting at 15 homers. He's got 10 steals on the year. He's 10 for 13 as a base dealer with a 273, 365, 568 line for AAA Wooster. Like, <laughs> what else can this guy do? And they have a need. They have an yeah. actual spot to play yes, him. So are we going to see Duran? in the lineup as a fixture on this team coming out of the break? I don't think there's any doubt that we do. And maybe that's what they were waiting for. Maybe they just wanted like a clean break in the season. We'll call him up after the All-Star break. We'll call him up sometime around the All-Star break. Let him get his feet wet, then get a few days off. And then he had this back issue. Like maybe that's what they were waiting for. And then the back issue uh, forced them to push back that timetable a little bit. But I mean... You said it. They have They have a – he has done everything you could ask for and probably a little bit more at the AAA level. They have a clear spot for him to play every single day in the lineup. And, again, a team that – here it is, right? We did not think necessarily that this was going to be a 600-plus win percentage team, but here they are. They've done it through the All-Star break. They have done it legitimately. This is not a team in Boston we, that we should be expecting to fall back to the pack over the second half of the season. So this is the time. This is the time for this team. They can easily win this division. They can be a serious player in the postseason. The way, best way to do that is to have your best players on the field all the time. And Jaron Duran right now, unquestionably, would be one of the best nine players to be in Boston's lineup every single day. So I do think we see him after the second half. And I wouldn't be shocked if it's Friday. Oh, actually, they're the Thursday game, aren't they? It's uh, We got Yankees-Red Sox as the lone standalone game on Thursday and then everyone else plays Friday. I would not be shocked to see Jaron Duran in that lineup on Thursday, and I certainly expect to see him shortly thereafter if he is not in the lineup on Thursday. So absolutely go get Jaron Duran if you can. 
Yeah, I'm just surprised at how much they are playing Kike Hernandez in center field. I just see him as so much more of a super utility guy. He's also leading off uh, every day. Now, I, I say that as someone who is also a bit surprised at how valuable he's actually been this year. I thought the power we saw a couple of years ago from him was going to dry up, and it hasn't. Uh, but you can move him around. You can get him playing time somewhere else and have Duran and just have an even better offense than you already do. So uh, I'm with you. I think it's happening pretty soon after the break, if not right out of the break for Duran. So kind of in the same vein as as guys like Eloy, like if you have a spot that you can take a chance yes. on someone who's not playing right away, the impact might not be far off from happening. A couple of guys who are going to offer a little more immediate help, though, Adam Engel whose defense will always give him chances to play mm-hmm. with the White Sox. He's the clear winner with that decision to DFA Adam Eaton earlier this week. And in limited time so far here in 2021, Engel has posted a career-best K percentage and a career-best hard hit rate. We love that combo. does bring a little bit of power to the table as well. And Luis Robert is a little further away than Eloy from getting back into the mix for the White Sox. So this window for playing time for Adam Engel appears to be wide open for what could be everyday playing time for the next month. Yeah, I think the next month, I think until about Eloy Jimenez is back is when you can lock him in for everyday playing time. They've been getting a lot out of Brian Goodwin, and so I don't think that he's necessarily going to go away. Obviously, they want to play Andrew Vaughn in some capacity, and we have to imagine that Eloy is going to be getting uh, more than his fair share of DH at-bats when he is first back with the team. So I think that angle could start to feel the crunch when Eloy Jimenez is back for this team, but still, that's weeks away. And even so, when he is back, as you said, that defense, especially under a manager like Tony LaRusso, who's going to put some value, some old-school value on outfield defense, uh, is going to help Adam Engel stay in the lineup. So at the very least, you're looking at three weeks of usefulness, and it could be something that stretches beyond that. So he's got that short-term ability to help your teams, which definitely has him on our radar this weekend. Yeah, and I think the guy that everybody wants to talk about, I saved him for the last part of the <laughs> hitter group for today. Rowdy Telez getting a chance in Milwaukee, and the question is pretty simple. Is he going to play enough to be mixed league viable? The roster trends page over at CBS Fantasy shows that Keston Hira roster rates are trending down in a pretty significant way, and it's weird because Hira has actually been about 30% better than a league average hitter in terms of WRC Plus since coming back from his second stint in Nashville. He's doing that with a mid-30s K percentage. That's Mm -hmm. just part of the package with Keston here at this point, but is this a platoon or is this more of a timeshare where it's Hira most of the time and Telez getting starts at first base, maybe against the more tough right-handed starters that the Brewers come across? I think that it might trend more toward a platoon. I mean, the Brewers had to make a move like this for a reason, and you know the Brewers are in sort of an enviable position. I like that they made this trade as early as they did because now they can still look at how this works over the next couple of weeks and maybe make another move before the deadline. They're in this nice position where they've got a five-game lead on the Reds in the division. They are clearly the best team in the division. The Reds have a lot of talent to match them, but the Brewers with that threesome of Woodruff, Burns, and Freddie Peralta really has steadied things and made them the team to beat in this division. But it's a bad offense, or it's been an underachieving offense. Let's call it that. I wouldn't. I don't. I don't want to necessarily. It's a bad offense with a lot of the hitters that they have here, and they're going to be getting Lorenzo Cain back at some point. It's been certainly no question about it an underachieving offense, and even one when it gets to full strength and is achieving at the level it should is not going to necessarily blow the doors off of teams. So they need some bats in this lineup if they are going to hold off the Reds and be a real player and make the most out of that starting pitching in uh, October. And so all of that is to say that they made this move for Telez for a reason, because he can be that sort of guy. And I think they owe it to themselves to see what sort of guy he can be for them over these next few weeks before the deadline. So they can know that maybe we need to go make another move or two. So I do like this as a short-term speculative ad because of the power we saw from him in Toronto and the fact that I do think he's going to get his fair share of opportunities in Milwaukee. So you buy Telez as a good enough hitter against righties to be viable in like a 15-team league, at least as a, yes. a cheap sort of pickup? That's pretty much exactly <laughs> exactly how I look at him. Good enough hitter against righties to be viable as a cheap pickup in 15-team leagues. Yes, and I do think he's going to matter for the Brewers. I just think that I think that they really have to see what this is and if he can be a shot in the arm for their offense against right-handed pitching. 
probably a schedule dependent player as he's been for a little while now uh, in more shallow formats than that. Mm -hmm. But definitely a player that we like to see in Milwaukee. It just seems like another good fit of player and team, much like Daniel Vogelback. I don't know how those two guys can really coexist on the same (laughs) NL roster, but, um, you know, I'm excited to see. Excited to see what it looks like if it ever happens later on this summer. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. All right, Beller, let's talk about some starting pitchers. This is one of the worst weeks to talk about pitching because (laughs) there are no two-star pitchers. Uh, Many of the rotations get reset, so it's more of the frontline guys going in the partial series. Even if the ace for a staff pitched in the All-Star game, there's a chance they'll still be able to pitch during the weekend because there's enough time for Mm -hmm. them to go Sunday if they go Tuesday. So I have four, only four pitchers (laughs) that I think are are worth thinking about because these are basically streamers. I want to start with a guy you watch all the time, a guy that I used to watch all the time. That's Zach Davies. He's going on the road to face the Diamondbacks. The overall numbers this season don't look good, and the K rate really hasn't been there at all. But Zach Davies has a 3.05 ERA over 73 and two-thirds innings going back to May 1st. A really bumpy April, I think, has skewed the overall body of work from Davies here in 2021. Yeah, he's actually been pretty effective in that window. It hasn't just been beating up on bad opponents or you know taking advantage of maybe some batted ball luck. He's been a pretty effective pitcher, and it's sort of gotten lost in the shuffle of the fact that uh, the Cubs have really fallen apart here, and the fa- and their their starting pitching was one of the main culprits earlier on. More recently, it's been the offense. So all of that's sort of been lost in the fact that Zach Davies has been basically what we've seen from him when he's been good, whether it was with Milwaukee, whether it was with San Diego. He's been the good Zach Davies now for a larger part of the season than he was the bad Zach Davies. And so you take that all together, you get this matchup in Arizona, a team that just can't help but lose like 110 games this season. It's a nice fit. It's a nice look. It's a nice fit. He's going to have plenty of win upside in this uh, in this matchup. Probably not going to strike out a ton of guys because that's not exactly his game. But uh, as you said, with all the rotation resets and the fact that there just aren't a ton of options readily available for you to add to your roster this weekend, I do think that Zach Davies is the easiest one and the best one to get on your roster, even if you're going to let him go after this Diamondback start. And I wouldn't necessarily do that looking out ahead of the rest of the schedule. Yeah, I think you're looking at 1% to 2% bids on pretty much everybody in this group yes. in mixed leagues where they're available. There's really no one I see having a lot of long-term value. There could be one exception that we'll get to in just a moment. Uh, I would say another streamer, though, would be Mike Miner, home against the Orioles. We're going to talk about the Orioles and some of the below-average offenses in the league shortly. But why do I keep pushing Mike Miner under the rundown on Sundays? <laughs> like, what What is wrong with me? Why do I think this is a good idea? I mean, it's not a bad idea against Baltimore, right? I mean, that's just that's just something that's been a fact for a lot of pitchers this season. And I think you push them on here because of what we've already said. The fact that if you are looking for innings, this is one of the few places where you're going to be able to find him this week. And so I think he's comfortably, for me, comfortably behind Davies. There's just been too much up and down with Miner. And even though we're not afraid of Baltimore's lineup, there is some pop in that lineup. Like It's not hard to see a start go sideways against Baltimore where you give up a couple of home runs because they do have some guys who can hit for legitimate power. We'll see one of them in the home run derby and Trey Mancini. So I think it's a min-bid situation. Definitely behind Davies, I'd be comfortable going to 1% to two per, or 2 on Davies. Miner's a min-bid guy for me, but enough to like here with the matchup against Baltimore that I'd be happy to win that min-bid. I'm just adamant that you can't go this long with a whip that's around like 
128-130 and have an ERA in the mid-fives. He's done it going back to last <laughs> season. Those numbers yeah. don't fit together. The ERA should be at least a run lower. I think he's more of like a 4-2-5 guy once everything straightens out. He's, you are going to get strikeouts because they give him innings when he's pitching uh-huh. well and he gets deep into games. He's Bizarro John Gant. That's what he is. <laughs> <laughs> oh, please, please, Mike Miner, pitch a little better so we don't have to put you on the rundown every week as a possible uh, min-bid streaming consideration. I would say the best of the bunch of these pitchers is probably Alex Cobb. Uh, he's actually been one of the Angels' most dependable starters to this point, which is not something I would have expected to say a couple months ago. I would have thought Dylan Bundy could have been that guy, and Griffin Canning could have been that guy. Uh, But Alex Cobb does draw Seattle at home. The Mariners have plenty of issues putting runs on the board, uh, even if they're going to start bringing players back up, if they bring Jared Kelnick up. Probably still a below-average offense that we don't necessarily have to fear with what I would describe in Cobb as kind of a... Middle of the middle of the pack starting pitcher, a guy that if you ranked yep. every starting pitcher around the league, all 150 guys at any given time, Cobb's probably somewhere near that 75 mark at any given moment. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's a fair way to look at him, but I also think it's fair to think of him as the one guy of this group who really can't stick around a team. We've seen him uh, have some highs this season where he's had a, a bunch of good starts in a row in every way we would look for him. Good rates, good strikeouts, and that strikeout upside is always going to be a wind at his back in the fantasy world. So uh, I like this as a play this weekend. I would uh, put him in that Davies group, maybe even prioritize him over Davies because of the strikeout upside that he does have. Equally good matchup, maybe slightly worse than what Davies is going to face in Arizona. But, you know, whatever the case may be, it's going to be something that's very close. And because of the fact that he's the one guy here who you maybe would want to keep around your roster, I would maybe give him priority if I needed pitching help. I think if I just needed the one start this week, I would have a little bit more favor for Zach Davies. If I did need some long-term pitching help beyond this week, I would probably favor Cobb. But two guys who are close to one another and two guys who uh, should be uh, considered the best pitchers that you can add in most leagues. Obviously, there's going to be some one-off situations, but most leagues, these are the two guys who you're looking at most closely uh, if you're looking to add some pitching for this coming week. And Cobb is doing what I want Miner to do in terms of ratios and in terms of Ks. Like it, it can be done by a very average sort of pitcher. It's possible. Yeah. So that, that that's what keeps me coming back to Mike Miner. People like Alex Cobb, guys getting by with stuff like Cobb has. Obviously, that split change has been a big part of him mm-hmm. pitching pretty well, even last year for a stretch during his uh, final season in Baltimore. Uh, one other pitcher that caught my eye looking at the matchups this week, though, Chad Cool, who might not be long for Pittsburgh. He easily could be yeah. acquired by another team oh, yeah. as a possible bullpen upgrade, even though he's a starter and maybe long-term could still be a starter. I- I'm just curious how other teams view him at this point, but he's home against the Mets. It is a Mets lineup that is trending in the right direction, getting healthier over the last few weeks. They were easier to stream against when they were really banged up six weeks or so ago, but I think Cool mm-hmm. has shown us something with four quality starts in his last six outings. It's a 369 ERA and a 114 whip during that span. Not a lot of Ks, a 6.5 K per nine during that stretch, and a little bit of a bumpy walk rate at 3.4 walks per nine, but just good enough to use in a matchup like this, in a situation like this where there's not a lot on the wire this week. Yeah, I think it would be more the dearth of options that would push me toward using cool rather than the matchup itself. That walk rate scares me against a team that is apt to take its walks. You look at a, you look up and down this lineup and you see Brandon Nimmo and Michael Conforto and Dom Smith. Those are all guys who are going to be comfortable letting Cool do the work for them to get them on base. So I think he could get into some trouble against this lineup, a lineup that is going to be patient. Uh, So it would really, for me, be a situation where I needed the volume. Maybe I didn't care too much about where my rates stand, and I would have to miss out on Davies, Minor, and Cobb before I would be turning to Cool. Yeah, I I would agree. I think he's near the back of the pack of this group, but I'm intrigued by some things we've seen from him Mm -hmm. in recent weeks. Uh, Since there are not a lot of pitchers to go after, I figured we should talk about some of those bottom half offenses, get a sense for whether or not we're still going to be streaming against them well into the second half, especially the teams at the very bottom because they're likely to trade away a few of their best players. Absolutely, we're going to continue streaming against them. Let's begin with the Rockies, who are just amazingly bad a 77 wrc plus 
7% below the next two teams on the list. Easily the worst team in the league offensively. We expect Trevor Story to be sent packing Mm -hmm. at some point between now and that July 30th trade deadline. Are you more comfortable now throwing pitchers in Colorado? Like I used to just stream against them on the road, but I kind of think their struggles at home are real. The offense is so bad, they can't do that much damage in that park, even though it's still a difficult place to pitch. The -hmm. threshold for the guys that I would actually throw in Coors has absolutely changed at this point. Is that the case for you? Yeah, it for sure is. I mean, it's maybe all but been eliminated. I mean, they're going to trade Trevor Story. I feel like we can pretty safely say that. They're going to let him have his hometown moment this week in participating in the Home Run Derby, and then they're going to be taking calls. Realistically, they're already taking calls on Trevor Story. And so when you take him out of that lineup, and now you're looking at a lineup of Rymel Tapia, Brendan Rodgers, a very diminished Charlie Blackman, and maybe he gets shipped out too. He could definitely contribute to a contender. Ryan McMahon, Jonathan Daza. I mean, I don't care where this team plays this games. This team could play its games on the moon and still be held to like one run on three hits uh, across nine <laughs> innings. So like there's just there's just nothing to fear. There's literally nothing to fear in this lineup. It could be a lineup unlike any we've seen in a long time if Story and Blackman both get dealt. So I would be totally comfortable. I will be totally comfortable in the second half of the season streaming uh, against this team in cores because they got to be able to hit enough to take advantage of that environment and I don't think they're going to be able to. Yeah, their second half opens at Coors with the Dodgers. I mean, Urias and Bueller, obviously, are guys that you'd be using anyway right. in this spot. Tony Gonsolin would be the most borderline waiver-ish or you know, Throw him. bench Throw sort him. of guy. <laughs> yeah, I think, well, then it gets, you look ahead to the following week, which I think is a big part of this schedule for people. If you're making pickups in weekly leagues, you're starting to look ahead. The problem is yeah, order's not necessarily confirmed for a lot of teams. Right. The Mariners will visit Coors Field for a quick two-game series early next week, Chris Flexen would be the guy that's exactly like just below oh the line. God. I just don't <laughs> trust him enough to throw him in Colorado, even against that lineup. So that's like our, that's I, our poster. That's our streaming poster child for this season too. That's perfect. Yeah. Flexen and, and Mike minor. Like I, I wouldn't start Flexen or Mike minor in Colorado. So those guys are just below the line. I don't know where exactly that line is, but I know those guys would not get a turn uh, in that spot, but they, yeah, they're only going to get worse. I mean, they're not one of those yeah. teams that's going to trade veterans and bring up some young guys and possibly uh, at least hold the level they're at right now. <laughs> they're just abysmal at this point. Uh, let's get to the Diamondbacks and Pirates. They have the second worst WRC plus in the league, 84, but still a lot better than Colorado. The D-backs were doing some damage against lefties earlier this season, but both of these teams look like they're going to get a bit worse in the near future. The deadline's going to thin out these teams. Eduardo Escobar seems like a guy that's definitely gone in Arizona. Maybe a healthier Cattell Marte in the second half helps them push things back in the right direction. They'll probably play Dalton Varsho a bit more, mm-hmm. but it's just hard to imagine them going from well below average to anything better than like a 90 WRC plus going forward. That's always at the streamline. So I, I don't see a turnaround coming from Arizona. Pittsburgh, mm-hmm. could they bring up a few young guys? Maybe, but... I don't have a lot of confidence in those guys hitting right away. So I think these are two really easy targets we should continue to pick on well into the second half. How much does it matter, too, if Pittsburgh brings up those young guys because they shipped out Brian Reynolds and Adam Frazier? Two of the guys who have given them consistent production. Brian Reynolds earning himself very much an all-star game bid this season. So I don't think it'll matter too much. At the very least, you would hope that if someone told you that those young guys came up and replaced exactly what Brian Reynolds and Adam Frazier have done, you would be surprised. I mean, realistically, you're going to get less than that. So there's no way that they are, I don't think they're holding the level, let alone pushing it to something where we are talking about them as a 90 WRC plus team for the rest of the season. Again, two teams that have been easy to stream against all season, and that is not going to change. I mean, even if somehow they didn't make those trades, you would still not be afraid of streaming against these teams. If they do, they will be auto stream pretty much every single time you get the opportunity. Yeah, looking at their upcoming schedule, they open the second half with the Mets. So if it holds, DeGrom, Stroman, Walker, obviously all those guys you're going to use. <laughs> Caleb Smith, Zach Gallen, and Merrill Kelly all get the Pirates in the second series of the second half. Again, this is written in pencil, all streamable. Right. You go to the next series after that, it's the Giants. Desclafani, Alex Wood, if the current schedule projection holds. I would start both of those guys, too. There's like really... Yes. 
there's nothing on the upcoming schedule that I'm looking at and saying, yeah, I wouldn't play that guy uh, against the Pirates on the Arizona side. I don't really think there's any concerns there except for the fact that the Pirates pitching isn't that good. I'd actually like Will Crow probably the most of the three starters that they're going to throw out there in that series against the Diamondbacks uh, early next week. Uh, let's move on to the next little tier here. We have the Marlins, the Cardinals, we have Cleveland, we have Kansas City, and 88 WRC Plus, and all of these guys. Like, I think the, the key here is that Miami's going to be a seller. Kansas City's mm-hmm. probably going to be a seller, but mm-hmm. Kansas City will have a healthy Edelberto Mondesi. Yep. They could bring up Bobby Witt Jr., Mm-hmm. And I don't think the players they're trading away are necessarily so vital to their offense that they're going to collapse and and be worse. So they're they're a little bit more of a probably hold. Whereas Cleveland, I don't really know what they're going to do at the deadline. I think as Zach Meisel said a couple shows ago, they're always active. They're always going to do something. They might not be chasing twenty twenty one specifically with their deadline mm-hmm. moves. But they're probably going to try and make their offense better. So I would say until they do it, stream against them. But wait and see. They might not be an auto stream once the calendar flips to August, depending on what happens at the deadline. Yeah, I think that's totally true. And I think you nailed it. I think the only name that we look at here as maybe changing his team's fortunes for the second half would be if someone really comes and blows the Royals away for Whit Merrifield. He's been talked about at the deadline year after year after year after year. So if that ends up being the case this year where it's finally the right time, then maybe that team does take a step back, even with a healthy Mondesi. And if they call up Bobby Witt Jr., that's really the one guy who I would look at here. St. Louis, uh, like... I don't know, man. I'm just not scared of this team. Like something's something's up with that offense. And like, if it was going to if it was going to be fixed, it, it would have been fixed by now. Because you know, outside of Paul DeYoung, they've been pretty healthy all season. And you've gotten a, a like for expectation purposes, a 99th percentile season out of Tyler O'Neill, a 95th percentile season out of Nolan Arenado. And we've seen the signs from Paul Goldschmidt starting to decline before this year. So like, I think St. Louis is what it is. And, you know, we talked to Katie Wu earlier this week and, you know, she was saying like, don't account this team as a seller just yet. I get that, but they're eight and a half games behind the Brewers. They are locked in a battle this weekend with the Cubs, who are not a good team. It's going to be hard for anyone outside the West to win a wild card spot with what those three teams have already built up going into the second half of the season. If the Cardinals come out of the break, I, first of all, I, I don't think they're really contenders. If they come out of the break and they have a bad first week or even just a 50, you know, 500 first week or a one game over, something like that, like they can't realistically think that suddenly this team that's been below 500 for three months is going to turn it on to become a 615 winning percentage team over the back half of the season. That's just unrealistic. So I think that's going to be a team that we feel comfortable streaming against still over the second half of the season. You thrown Alec Mills against them if he catches them in that series? <laughs> Um, you know, Mills has has been a little bit more effective uh, of late, but uh, I Alec Mills is just not an especially great pitcher, and so I would uh, I would probably lean against throwing him in that series. Pretty sure I still owe you some beer, actually, because of that no hitter. We had a, a <laughs> bet on the no season no series. Year. Yeah, it was a season series bet between the Brewers and Cubs, <laughs> and the decisive game was the Alec Mills no hitter, which is just. <laughs> The worst way to lose a bet, really. <laughs> I could see the Cardinals kind of going the Cleveland route where they don't necessarily go after rentals, but they find uh-huh. a deal that makes them better for this season and next season, and that could make their offense better. That could breathe some life there. I could see Dylan Carlson starting to become more like the player we expect him to be in the long run during the second half of the season, and that could move the needle just a little bit. But I don't see a lot of sources for internal improvement. He's the main one. He's the guy that I think we could see take the step, and then they're still probably sitting 5% below league average, even if they get a few other guys going at a little bit higher clip, barring a trade. So yeah, I don't think we're going to get to the point where we fear the St. Louis lineup, and obviously it's a pitcher-friendly ballpark, too, so going into St. Louis as a road pitcher isn't really that daunting either. Quality of the offense aside, it's just a pitcher-friendly sort of environment. So, yeah, this group, to me, for the most part, still generally pretty good to pick on for the foreseeable future. Let's get to the next group. we got the Mariners, the Tigers, and the Brewers all sitting with 90 WRC plus marks entering play on Sunday. Those first two, Seattle and Detroit, we talked about Kalnick sort of in passing a few moments ago. Yeah, that offense get a little bit better, but 
not enough to where you're going to fear them. The Tigers aren't going to bring up all their young bats yet. I mean, we're talking 2022. Things could be different there. I think the question is with the Brewers, how much does yes. the Rowdy Telez deal make a difference? How much do they get out of Colton Wong once he's healthy? Does mm-hmm. Keston Hira bounce back? Do they make trades? I mean, does Christian Yelich start to hit more like MVP Yelich? Of all the teams we've talked about so far, I'm not just saying this because it's the team that I root for, it's mm-hmm. easiest to talk yourself into them as maybe being more of a league average offense in the second half with some tweaks or with some things mm-hmm. starting to go right that simply have not gone their way to this point. Yeah, it's not even close, and I would actually expect them to be a league average offense in the second half with all those additions, right, with uh, Rowdy Telez getting a little bit more time and maybe evening out what we've seen from Keston Hira this season, getting Colton Wong back, getting a better version of Christian Yelich, getting uh, Lorenzo Cain back at some point uh, in the not-too-distant future, and the one team that we've talked about thus far that is unquestionably a buyer. Do they do anything else? Do they do anything big? We can't know, but this team should be adding wherever possible at the deadline. And again, it's the Brewers, right? So rotation, not really a ton of needs. Bullpen, not really a ton of needs. This team is going to pitch the hell out of the ball as they have all season long. They have obvious needs in the offense. So I would not be surprised to see them make some moves here to make that offense better. I would bet on this being, at worst, a league average offense for the second half of the season. So probably not one that I'm going to keep in the stream pile the way that pretty much all these other teams are. And their matchups coming out of the break, they get Cincinnati again. They've got a series with the Reds. They're wrapping up on Sunday. They open in Cincinnati to begin the second half. It's Castillo, Malley, Sonny Gray. Like, I would start all those guys against the Brewers, yeah, even if sure. the Brewers were better. So I'm not yeah. worried about that. I would Brady start all those Singer. guys against the Dodgers. Yeah, you know, those are I mean, those guys you start. Right. Brady Singer, I'd be a little more careful with him. They get an interleague series with the Brewers next week. And then you get to the White Sox series next weekend. All those guys would go to Cease, Lynn, Carlos Rodon. So it's not really about the yeah. matchup necessarily. It's mm-hmm. that those guys are pitched well enough to where you're <laughs> yeah. using them just about all the time. Let's get to our last group here. We have the Rangers, the Cubs, and the Orioles sitting at 92 and 93 WRC pluses. That's the Orioles getting up to that, that 93 spot. But uh, other than... Their home matchups against fringy guys, I think you do want to pick on them. I guess the question I have for you, how much worse could the Cubs actually get? Are they actually going to break up the band, or are they just not going to buy? Because if they don't buy, they still look a little bit dangerous to me on Mm -hmm. paper. And I could see them also pushing back towards being a league average offense if they say... Well, let's just run it out with this core. Let's just see if we can catch the Brewers. Maybe the Brewers will hit a cold patch and we can close the gap and we can find a way to steal the division in the final days of the season. Like I could I could see them talking themselves into that. They're definitely not buying. That is safe to say. And I would say that the one guy who for sure is getting shipped out is Craig Kimbrell. That's like the lock of all locks that he will get traded. And maybe it'll be the biggest name move, period, at the deadline across the league. Uh, we've got a really good story on the site right now from our two Cubs beat writers, Sahadev Sharma and Patrick Mooney and Ken Rosenthal, uh, talking about how Jed Hoyer has opened up the phone lines and he is taking calls on basically everyone. Given the fact, DVR, that all three of Chris Bryant, Javier Baez, and Anthony Rizzo are in walk years, I do find it hard to believe that unless the Cubs come out of the break and win 10 straight and the Brewers go 2-8, and eight, I find it hard to believe that we would see all three of those guys still as Cubs uh, in the second half of the season. Maybe they would, and maybe they want to build up enough goodwill where they can bring back you know, one or even two of them uh, as free agents in the offseason, but... I got to believe that they're they're taking calls on all those guys, and I wouldn't be surprised to see at least one of them shipped out before the deadline. You also have to weigh that against, like, selling tickets concerns, right? Like, there are those business concerns that maybe uh, that we know have driven some of the Cubs' decision-making uh, in recent years, so that is something at play here. But I do think we could see this offense be worse over the second half of the season than it's been to this point, and so I do think that the Cubs go from – a borderline team to maybe one we're more comfortable streaming against after the break, after the deadline, really more so than after the break. Yeah, I I would agree with that. I think the the Texas thing on here that's kind of surprising is that I would have expected them to pop up lower on the list a little yeah, earlier same. in this. I think Joey Gallo's recent tear alone has probably nudged mm-hmm. them up a tier or two. He has been on fire, but he's among their best trade chips. So there's a good chance that Gallo gets moved if that happens. Suddenly, the Rangers fall back into that bottom five offense conversation, and they become very much a target with just about any pitcher if that happens. So uh, I'm keeping my eyes 
very focused on the Rangers because I, I could see that team getting a lot worse very quickly uh, at, during the second half of the season. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, Beller, let's talk about a few relievers here before we sign off. Uh, One is in more of a long relief role, maybe someone that could step into the rotation if there's a need in the second half of the year, and that is Christian Javier. We learned over the weekend that Zach Grinke has been dealing with some shoulder soreness for about a month now. Javier, in his last appearance through three innings, actually pitching really well in a multiple-inning relief role, so a really good guy to have mostly stretched out. I don't know if you can justify stashing him in like a 10 or a 12 team league, but I think in a 15 team league, a bulk reliever pitching this well actually is just fine. If if you are the kind of person that would ordinarily roster a closer and waiting, but you want a little more in terms of innings and Ks instead, and you get the possibility of getting a starter if someone goes down, I think Javier is a sneaky stash where available. Yeah, I think that Javier, even if you knew for sure that he was going to be a bulk reliever for the rest of the season, that he still plays in 15-team leagues. He's been so, so good in that role. And if you're going to get, you know, maybe five innings out of him, even you know, even in an average week, it's probably less than that. If you're going to get like three and a third out of him and five strikeouts in an average inning, or average week, like you feel pretty darn good about that. Colin McHugh is in this same group as well, a guy who's been uh, performing very well as a bulk reliever in Tampa. And so... Christian Javier also brings to the table the fact that he could very easily get some starts, and I would expect him to get some starts. Again, this Houston team now, you know, once we get into the second half, and really once we get into like mid-August, this is a team that you know suddenly clicks over and is thinking about October, and they need these dudes healthy. And the best way to keep some of these arms fresh and healthy is to rotate some guys in and out of the rotation. So I do think we have not seen the last of Christian Javier as a starting pitcher this season. Even if we have, I love him as a bulk reliever. I would actually be a little bit more aggressive on him and even 12-teamers because he provides so much value in the role that he's in, and I do believe that we are going to see him in the rotation. Maybe not a rotation fixture, but he's going to get some starts for this team in the second half. I don't think there's any doubt about that. The good news here, though, I don't think you have to bid all that much to get him. I don't think that type of player often commands that much of a bid, so... Uh, unless we get a Grinky to the IL sort of announcement or something, in which case then I think the interest would uh, shoot up quite a bit later on today or midweek if you're running your pickups midweek. I know Tout Wars is among the leagues that moves the deadline from Sunday to Wednesday, the week of the All-Star break, which I, I think makes sense. We get a lot more information about injured guys and schedules and things as the week rolls along. Let's get to a couple short relievers. Heath Hembry. And my note here just says, oh, good, another option for saves in Cincinnati because I think we talked about Brad Brock either last week or maybe it was two weeks ago now. Who knows? Time is a a flat circle. Um, For people who don't know, I was in California and now I'm back in Wisconsin and I'm going to move to California and it's all – this summer has just gone completely off the deep end. It is going to be nuts, but – Heath Hembry, I mean, at one point, way back in the day with the Giants, did look like a future closer, and Amir Garrett hasn't been the guy we wanted him to be so far this Mm -hmm. season. TJ Antone's been hurt. Uh, Lucas Sims has been hurt. Those guys are probably out for a couple more weeks. At least, I think we're talking about a partial closer here with Hembry, so what is your interest level just in terms of, of how much you're thinking about bidding where you need saves? Yeah, I would. I would. I would need saves. I would really need saves uh, to be going after him because we. I mean, we've done this dance with with all these guys. I mean, even we did it with Lucas Sims before he went on the IL and he was not locked in. He was nothing more than a partial closer for this team. And now it's like when he comes back, it's going to be like manna from heaven for the Cincinnati Reds bullpen. So. I'm not going too crazy. And this team, right, I mean, five games behind the Brewers, it's not unthinkable. I mean, with all the talent they have and with the way they're hitting, they can maybe chase. I have no faith in the Cubs or the, or the Cardinals chasing down the Brewers. I think the Reds could do it. Things would still need to go right for them, and they need some bullpen help. So I also wouldn't be surprised to see them be active in that market, and you're picking up Heath Hembry thinking, hey, at least I'm getting a partial closer. Then a week later, they make a trade, and now they've got a new closer. And then two weeks later, Lucas Sims comes back, and now Heath Hembry's pitching sixth innings again. So I'm not going too crazy here. Min bid if I need closer help, and that's it. 
let's compare him to a guy in Seattle, Paul Sewald, who I think is getting partial saves when Kendall Graveman's not available, but I think mm-hmm. we could probably add Kendall Graveman to the list of good relievers who could very well be traded at some oh, point yeah. in the next couple of weeks. And uh, what a good story. We talked about Graveman a few times uh, back when we were picking him up earlier in the year. Do you go after Seawald now, or do you think he's also on the move as someone else that the Mariners could flip as a way to get some future value back? Anything that's not nailed down in Seattle is available. Even with that team playing a little bit better than I think we would expect them to, especially with the offensive struggles that they've had. But obviously this is a team that uh, is looking ahead to the future, and I think Seawald could be part of the, uh, the, 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 the group of people who provide future value by being shipped out in trades. But... If he is staying, it's obviously more likely that Kendall Graveman gets traded from this Mariners team. And if Seawald does stay, would probably have uh, maybe not the inside track, but one of the couple of inside tracks uh, to being a something of a primary closer for them in the second half. I would be more interested, let me put it this way, if I'm speculating on future save value, I'm more interested in Seawald than I am in Hembry. I just see more paths to Seawald getting consistent save opportunities over the second half of the season than I do in Hembry. I think they're both min-bid situations. Yeah, I'm just looking at his arsenal to see if anything is a lot different than it's been in the past because he's been a journeyman. He's never really been in a lot of Mm -hmm. Mm high-leverage situations before. Mm -hmm. And, yeah, there's a little more velo, 92.4 miles per hour on the fastball is a a career best. It's got the slider working pretty good. The slider, I think, has been decent at times in the past not great so I don't know it's a bit of a mystery to me how he's this much better so maybe teams (laughs) will see through it and he'll end up getting eight or ten saves in the final two months because Mm -hmm. they move Graveman and no one's interested in Seawald so I would say I agree with you if you're looking for that longer term play the the Reds bullpen is more likely either with Antone or Sims being healthy or a trade Mm -hmm. to have competition in front of Hembry than the Mariners are to have someone else uh, working in front of Seawald if they move Kendall Graveman. So low bids on both, but yes. a bigger priority going long-term on Seawald if you're playing the long game and don't need just the immediate couple of saves that Heath Hembry might offer you. That is going to wrap things up for this episode of the Athletic Fantasy Baseball Podcast on Twitter. You can find Beller at M. Beller. You can find me at Derek Van Riper. You can get a subscription to The Athletic for just $3.99 a month to start at theathletic.com slash fantasy baseball podcast. We are back with you on Tuesday with Under the Radar.